Mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As a church, over the last 11 weeks, this being the 12th week, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And today is our last week in this series, and we will wrap this up by looking at the end of Abraham and Sarah's lives as they both die, and then we will see uh, the handing of the baton, the, the passing of the torch, <laughs> the raising up of the next generation. And what we will focus on at the end of this sermon today is how important it is for us, how important it is for us to raise up the next generation of Jesus followers so that they too can live according to the promises of God. A lot of you are with us for the first time today. Welcome, welcome. I'm glad that you are here. And for those of you who are here for the first time or those of you who have been here for all 11 weeks, I just want to kind of review where we've come from in this first half of the book of Genesis. We've covered a lot of ground. From the very beginning in Genesis 1 of the creation and Genesis 2, the creation of humanity specifically. Chapter 3, humanity and all creation fell into sin. Chapter 4, Cain killed his brother Abel. Chapters 5 through 10, we talked about the flood. And chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Chapter 12, God called out to Abram and told him to pick up and move. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter which one, 16, Hagar and Sarai. And chapter 17, the promise of Isaac. And chapter 19, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Chapter 21, final birth of Isaac. And today we'll see the death of Isaac's parents, Abram and Sarah, and Isaac's marriage to Rebekah. Now, if you've been with us, or even if you haven't, from the very beginning, what we have seen over and over again is this. We have seen how quickly God's people become wicked and rebellious against their Creator, desiring to live lives according to their own plan and their own desires. We've seen it over and over again. But at the same time, we've seen that God is constantly at work to protect and preserve his creation. What we have also seen in these 11 weeks is that, that we have seen uh, how quickly, again, people rebel against God, but we've also seen that there are people in the scriptures who put their entire lives and their trust and their faith in God. And so we see that God is a God of both justice and a God of mercy, of deliverance, but also judgment for sin. All right. In all of it, though, what I pray that you see, what I pray that you see it, from the very beginning, I pray that you see that all of the scriptures, even here from the beginning, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Everything, everything that we've looked at points to Jesus. It really does. Just think about it. Jesus is the one who finds favor in our place with God. Because Jesus lived a perfect life, he is the one who finds favor with God. Jesus is the one who took upon himself our punishment that we deserve for our sin, and Jesus died for us. And Jesus is the one who makes us right with our Creator, and that we have a right relationship with the God who created us and who is our Father. It all points to Jesus. These earliest chapters of the scriptures all 
point to Jesus. They all point to Jesus. The beginning of Genesis sets the stage for the rest of the Bible. There is a whole lot more that we could talk about in the book of Genesis. And and maybe we'll pick up this story again in a couple of months. We're only halfway through the book of Genesis. But but, uh, let's find a good place to pause here. And a good place to pause is chapters 23, 24, 25. All right? Because here at this place, uh, we have talked a lot over these weeks about Abraham and Sarah. From Genesis 12 up until this point, it's really been about Abraham and Sarah, about God's promise to them that they would have a son, and that through that son all nations of the earth would be blessed. And then last week we saw in Genesis 21 that God delivered on that promise, and Isaac was born. This child that had been promised was born at the ripe old age of 100, for Abraham, and Sarah was 90. Believe, can you believe that? Abraham was 100 years old when their son was born, and Sarah was 90. So they have this child, this promised child, and he, and he begins to grow as children do. And if you're even vaguely familiar with the scriptures, maybe you know this next part of the story, that, that God came to Abraham, and he said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. I want you to put him to death. All right, here's the deal. Today, we're actually not going to look at that part of the story. All right? We did on December 9th last year, however, and if you want to dig into the depths of our sermon archive, you can. We have it available for you. All right? No, seriously, though, I preached on this on December 9th in a sermon series called Who is Jesus? And the title of it was Jesus the son of Abraham. So you can go back just a couple of months to see how it is that we preach and apply that part of the story. For today, we're just passing over that to another piece of Isaac's life, all right? To another piece of Isaac's life. And so we're we're, going to go, Isaac grows up, he has this, uh, this piece where his father is called to sacrifice him and it doesn't end up having to happen. Then we get to Genesis chapter 23, all right? And in Genesis 23, we learn here that Sarah, Isaac's mom, died. She was 127 years old when she died, which is kind of cool. I mean, she was, she was 90 when Isaac was born, <laughs> and she still got to spend 37 years with her son, right? What a, what a great gift from God. So she died, and then in chapter 24 of Genesis, Abraham, the Bible says, was advancing in years. I I mean, I think he was kind of well advanced in years when Isaac was born, but even more so after his wife dies, and he realizes that his son needs a wife, right? I mean, it's through this son that he's supposed to have descendants upon descendants, more numerous than the pieces of sand on the ground and more numerous than the stars in the sky. So Isaac needs a wife. So Abraham, uh, he enlists an entrusted servant of his to go find a wife for Isaac. This is how they did it back in the day, all right? And, and uh, Abraham has two specific details for the servant to pay attention to. One is this. He must go back to the homeland. He must go back to where Abraham was originally from, to Abraham's, Abraham's lineage, and find a wife from Abraham's family. And then the second thing is this. That wife must come back and live in this land, in the promised land land. Isaac can't move there. Why are these two two things important? Because they're part of the promise that God gave to Abraham, and this is how it needs to be fulfilled. I'd encourage you, if you've never read it, read Genesis 24 in detail on your own. We had a section of it in our reading today, but it details 
all of the things that the servant did. But long story short, here's what happened. The servant went to Abraham's family and he found a woman named Rebekah. And Rebekah willingly, willingly, and with her father's blessing, with her family's blessing, went with that servant back to Isaac, back to the homeland, just as he had been requested. And Isaac took Rebekah as his wife. And the Bible even says our Old Testament lesson ended with these words, that Isaac was comforted now after the death of his mother. What a cool thing. He's, he gets married and, he, and it comforts him after the death of his mother. So 23, Sarah dies. 24, Abra- or Isaac gets married to Rebekah. Chapter 25 tells us that Abraham dies at, at, at age 175. So he's, he's around for a while longer. And the Bible even details how Isaac and Ishmael, his half-brother, remember that whole ordeal? Maybe you don't, but you can look it up. Isaac and Ishmael are there to bury their father at the same time. These chapters, 23, 24, 25, they describe the passing of God's promise from generation to generation, from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac and Rebekah. You could go home and keep reading the story on your own to see how the promise of God continues to be passed from generation to generation. The next generation, the next generation, Many of you sitting in this room today are preparing to send your kids off to school this week. And as you send them off to school, how do you send them? Have you ever thought about that? How do you send them? How have you as parents prepared the next generation? Have you given them words of encouragement? Have you set your expectations and desires for them? If so, what are those expectations and desires? As a Christian parent, is your expectation and your desire simply that your kids show up, that they go to school, maybe they get good grades and perform on the athletic field or in other fine arts? Is that your desire for them on a daily basis? I pray that as Christian parents, you go above and beyond that, And let your children know and set the expectation that they live as Christ in the classroom and on the athletic field and in whatever activities they go to. I pray, parents, that that is the expectation that you pass on to your children. And what words is it that you speak to your children in order to encourage them to let your desires and those expectations be known? Do you speak to them that your desire for them is to live according to the promise of God in all that they say and do? Some of you sitting here may not agree with the next thing I'm about to say. I'm going to make a strong statement and use a word that may have negative connotations in some of your minds. And I don't mean this word to sound negative. I just mean it to be used in a very strong way and in a positive way. And it is this, as Christian parents, I truly believe that it is your responsibility, our responsibility, I'm a parent as well, here's the word, to indoctrinate our children in what they should think and believe, all right? Now that may come across as extra strong for some of you because, here's the deal, just hear me out on this, I think 
you know, you guys listen, you get to listen to me talk and rant and rave for an hour, right, a week. You're, you're surrounded by other voices for another 127 hours a week. That's a lot of voices vying for your attention. I think in, in our society right now, as parents, what we are being taught and told is this, that we should raise up the next generation uh, to be able to, you know, create a life however they want to live their life, to expose them to everything, and then to say, go make good choices. Okay, that's, that's what I hear anyways. I, I, I believe, I believe, you know, and, and let me just add one more thing. And I think on top of that, you know, we also hear uh, that, you know, by no means should you ever tell anyone what they should believe about God, right? And sometimes that message gets translated to parents as well, that parents shouldn't really even tell their children what to believe about God, right? You just kind of expose them to everything and let them go. Hear me out, though, those of you who are parents, those of you who are parents, you already make all kinds of decisions on behalf of your children every single day. <laughs> you, you do teach your children and expose them to healthy foods, right? You, you teach them the difference between a salad and a piece of cake, right? And you tell them which one is probably more nutritious for them. Right? You, you do that, right? You, you teach your children uh, when, when's the right time to go to bed and when to wake up. You set the expectations that they go to school and get their work done. You teach them how to say please and thank you. You're already shaping them and molding them to be and to think a certain kind of way. Some of you even go so far as to tell your children which sports team it is that your family roots for and you get them a onesie with that brand to wear as soon as they come out of the womb, right? Some, I don't know. Skull Vikings. All right. Um, I, tell my, I do tell my son, uh, Max, we, we root for the Vikings in this house, buddy. It's our favorite football team. They're the best. So just so you know, I'm doing it, all right? I'm doing what I say. All right. So just, just think about this, though. Why would you not? Why would you not do everything in your power to give your children the one thing needful for all of eternity which is Jesus Christ. Why would you not do everything in your power to say this is truth? Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. He's always with you. Why would you not? What greater gift is there to give your children than to remind them of the love of Jesus Christ? You have the opportunity to teach them that they are eternally loved, eternally loved and presently loved. There's no greater message. You even can tell them your God loves you even more so than I do as your parent. You believe that? See, I believe that you and I should be doing absolutely everything in our power to raise up the next generation to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we indoctrinate them to the point of being little robots who just regurgitate the right answers to us and just go through the motions. That's not what I'm saying. Eventually, yes, they need to stand on their own two feet and make that decision to follow after Jesus and to boldly make confession of him as their own faith. That must happen, and we need to raise them in such a way to be able to do that. But the point, this is the point in all of this that I want to emphasize. This is the point. If you and I, as Christian parents, are not teaching our children to follow Jesus, 
if you're just leaving it up to chance to see what decision they're going to make, the world will teach them otherwise. It just will. That's a word to the parents in the room today. To those of you in this room who are the next generation, to those of you in this room who are the next generation, whoever you are here, young people, that consider yourselves the next generation, a word for you. We love you in the church. Jesus loves you. Jesus does. The world that you are growing up into right now, it's a different world than the one that your parents were raised in. It just is. Plain and simple. But don't fall into the trap to think that the world you're raised into is any worse or better than the one that your parents were raised in. It's just different. (laughs) It's just different. It always is from generation to generation. The world that Isaac and Rebekah raised their children in was different than the world that Abraham and Sarah raised their children in. It just changes from generation to generation. But those of you who are the next generation, as your pastor, let me tell you this. I absolutely love learning from you. I absolutely love hearing what it is that is troubling you about life, where your struggles are but where your joys are. I love knowing where it is that you see Jesus at work in your lives and in your schools. And I absolutely love it when you reach out to me and share these things with me. And so if any of you at any time of the next generation have ideas about how our church can better be utilized to raise up the next generation of Jesus followers, let me know. Love to have you guys in church leadership as well, helping us craft and shape what it is that we do to raise up the next generation. All right, that was a word for the parents, a word for the next generation, and now a word for all of us. Some of you have never had children. Some of you don't have children right now. Some of you, your children are are raised and, and gone and doing other things. To every one of us sitting in this room, I tell you, the next generation are not just children. Okay? Those of you who have children, you've got to start there. But the next generation of Jesus followers is everybody who doesn't yet know Jesus, of which there are billions in this world. You and I, everyone sitting in this room, have been given the command of Jesus Christ to make disciples of all nations. This is what discipleship is. Boldly living in the word of God according to his promises and doing everything you can to teach and to train and mobilize and send the next generation of Jesus followers out into this world. We must do it. If we don't, who will? The promise of God is always passed from generation to generation. From Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob down his lineage all the way till we get to Jesus, and from Jesus to his disciples, and from the disciples to us, and from us to the world until the whole world hears. Who will go boldly in the name of Jesus Christ? Will you? Will you take the name of Jesus and go boldly? The next generation of Jesus' followers depends on us. Those of you who have been with us over the last 11 weeks, thank you for your diligence in reading through the book of Genesis. If you've never finished reading that book, go home and do it. You will see the promises of God at work, chapter after chapter. And one final thing, next week. If you didn't hear me say it, next week, we have one service at 10 a.m., all right? The plan is to be outside. If you've got a chair, bring a chair. If you've got a picnic blanket, you want to sit on a blanket with your family, do it. One service at 10 a.m., 
And we will be focusing on this theme by which we live at our church, that we are alive in Christ. All right? It shows up on our bulletin each week, but we want to dive into this once again. And so our focus for this fall kickoff will be on encouraging us to live fully, fully in the life that Jesus Christ has given to us And we'll look at some of the distractions that prevent us from fully experiencing that love of God in Jesus Christ. In preparation for next week, if you want, if you're a homework kind of do in person, read John chapter 1. That's not 1 John. 1 John's a different book. The Gospel of John chapter 1. And ask yourself the question, where do you see Jesus living in your neighborhood? And we'll open up that question even more next week. All right, I'll see you next week, 10 a.m. outside. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're